What's up, everybody? Glad to be back at it. You know, apologies for not having this episode out yesterday. I was not feeling good and just stayed in the bed. But I'm good to go now and ready to move on with the letter written to the Church of Smyrna, which would be the second letter. But before we get to that, let me just say that I pray that this journey through Revelation is a blessing to everyone and really serves to grow and strengthen our faith. I pray that God would speak to your spirit accordingly. Also, I would like to mention that if you need to reach out to me, you can do so via email at jason.p3podcast at gmail.com. In addition to that, if you ever feel led to donate, sponsor, or contribute to this podcast ministry, you can do so through the link in the podcast description. All right, with that being said, let's jump into today's message dealing with the second letter to the church of uh, Smyrna. So today we pick up with this letter that John writes to the church of Smyrna. This is this letter is different from the others in the sense that the others tend to have a praise and a rebuke in there for something that he has against them. You know, there's usually some encouragement, a warning at the end, you know, a promise uh, of a reward if they do what he tells them to do, etc. But not only is this the shortest letter of the seven, but it is focused solely on encouragement with the promise of not being touched by the second death. This letter is written in a way that would indicate that they are facing intense persecution. Jesus wants them to know that he sees their afflictions and to stay strong and there will be a great reward. Unlike five of the other churches, this one doesn't receive any rebuke by Jesus. Let's start with the meaning of the name Smyrna. It is the transliteration of the Greek word Smyrna, which is basically the word for myrrh. Myrrh is a natural gum or resin that comes from a Middle Eastern tree used to make a fragrant ointment. Uh, myrrh was the most commonly was most commonly used in burial practices, as it was a primary embalming spice uh, used when preparing bodies for burial. Um, remember that. Remember that was one of the gifts that the Magi brought to uh, to Jesus at his birth. The meaning of the name Smyrna makes sense when you realize the persecution they face and the possibility of or death that would come, should I say. So today Smyrna is called Izmir and is still a thriving city in Turkey, but during the time of the church of Smyrna, it was uh, another Roman, just another Roman city devoted to emperor worship, which at the time was em- Emperor Tiberius. It was full of pagan temples, and the Romans outlawed practicing any religion except emperor worship. The only exception was uh, was Judaism because of their stubbornness to conform. For a time, the church enjoyed the same exception because they were seen as an offshoot of Judaism. Eventually, the Romans came to see the Christians as something different from Judaism and a threat to the empire. Also, the Jews sided with the Romans against the church or the Christians as the Jews rejected and persecuted the Christians along with the Romans. This letter begins with describing Jesus as the first and the last, the one who died and came to life again. Clearly, when you read this letter, you see why. They were facing imprisonment and persecution, even to the point of death. So he starts by reminding them that 
He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the one who died and rose again. He has the power of life and death. And he holds the keys to them. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. When you belong to him, they have those things have no hold on you. Without conquering those three things or those things, you know, without conquering death, hell, and the grave, he couldn't make the promise he makes to them. That is why I believe he reminds them of this at the beginning of the letter, because he knows what they're facing, and he wants them to know that he has the power over death, so they don't need to fear it. You know, then Jesus says he knows their afflictions or tribulations and their poverty. Jesus has no rebuke for this church. Instead, he encourages them because he knows exactly what they're going through. He sees their struggle and knows their pain. The Greek word for poverty implies destitution. They were in a prosperous city, yet they were beggarly and destitute. They were in abject poverty, likely for standing firm in their faith in Christ. Jesus reminds them, even though they are poor with earthly things, they are rich in faith. And that should be comforting to us. You may not be rich and have all the money in the world to do whatever, but where's your faith? You know, this, this should remind us that Jesus values the rich, richness of our faith above earthly riches. He is not saying that it is bad to be rich, just that being rich in faith is of higher importance. A lot of manual labor jobs back then were controlled by labor unions in that day that, you know, to work in that particular trade, you were likely to have to get a membership into uh, or have to join a union where a membership was required for that particular trade union. And these unions worshiped pagan gods and participation in ritual worship and sacrifice was required as part of a union membership. So when Christians refused to participate in their pagan worship and practices, they were put out, you know, and no work definitely leads to poverty. And, you know, Jesus tells them that he knows about the slander and defamation that they are dealing with. He calls that, you know, that faction of Jews that, that are um, basically defaming them and slandering them, he calls them a synagogue of Satan. You know, there were certain Jews that ratted them out to the Romans and always trying to get them in trouble and would sub, would subject them, the church to slander or defamation. They sought to destroy the name and reputation of Jesus and the Christians. Jesus says they, they call themselves Jews, but they are not, meaning they are Jews in name only. They may have been born of Aaron, but, uh, I'm sorry, of Abraham. They may have been born of Abraham, but they have rejected the Messiah and have become a temple of Satan being used by him to persecute the church. There is only two types of people in the world, those who are for Christ and those who are against him. Matthew 12:30 says, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So you're either a friend of Jesus or an enemy. I, for one, am glad to be a friend of Jesus. And if you are as well, going through Revelation, you will definitely come to appreciate that. Okay, Jesus tells them of a soon-coming persecution and death. He tells them they will be imprisoned for ten days and to be faithful even unto death. He says specifically that Satan will be responsible for this persecution as an attempt to test the believers of Smyrna. 
Satan was likely trying to see if he could get them to falter or waver in their faith, making them you know, face death. Jesus gets, them, gets to them first, though, to let them know that he knows what is coming and who is responsible, but it is important that they face it faithfully and be a witness to everyone. Ten days of imprisonment was likely due to the time it would take for them to await trial, which would be swift, especially you know compared to today's times. The Romans were not known for keeping people in prison for long periods of time, at least not normally. For serious crimes, there would be a holding period awaiting trial, and, and then that would be followed by a, a quick punishment you know, and, and execution. Interestingly, though, the number 10 is biblically symbolic of testimony, law, responsibility, and the completeness of order. So in this instance, you see the testimony part uh, of that number and how symbolic it is uh, for the church of Smyrna. Because remaining faithful in the face of persecution would allow their life and subsequent death to serve as a testimony of their faith in Jesus. Remaining faithful unto death, Jesus promised them that they would receive life as the uh, victor's crown. He wants them to know that death is not the end for believers and, and not, you know, not to fear it. Because for a Christian, death is gain, um, as Paul said. The one who controls life and death and holds power over them promises that he, that, you know, and that they, I'm sh- should I say, that they will receive life as their reward and would not have to fear the second death. Revelation 2.11, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. The second death is the death of the Spirit, basically. It's... In meaning the punishment for your name not being written in the Lamb's book of life. It is when all those who have rejected Christ are judged and condemned to hell or an eternal separation from God. That's the second death. And Jesus promises that they will not be hurt at all by the second death. Why? Because their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And we will talk more about that later as, as the days go along. So... Smyrna is unique in the sense that they receive no rebuke from Jesus, only encouragement and hope in the promise of the crown of life as their reward. Smyrna is the example of, an, of enduring persecution and allowing it to produce an unadulterated faith. It is important to note that as a believer, our salvation is secure in Jesus and it is a free gift that we are given. Those who overcome are those who receive salvation through Jesus. The crown of life is a reference to receiving an eternal reward and does not represent salvation. As said before, that is a gift given freely by Jesus. But we will all receive different rewards or crowns based on how we endure and persevere in our faith in Jesus' name. For the church of Smyrna, their reward for persevering in their faith would be the victor's crown of life for being victorious in in the face of persecution. Now, following the first century, the church entered a period of persecution under Roman opposition, lasting more than 200 years. This period began more or less with the emperor uh, Domitian, and, and that was around A.D. 96, and continued until the early 4th century. 
there there were ten emperors during that time who took who undertook persecution against the church. You know, prophetically, it seems that the ten days of waiting mentioned in the letter may also allude to the ten emperors who attacked the church over the years to come. The history of the church following the age of the apostles, which would have been the first period of the church ending around 100 AD, mirrors the events of the second letter, this letter written to Smyrna. This letter is symbolic of the second period of the church, the period of persecution. Where does it end? With the, it ends with the period marked by the next letter written to Pergamum, and we'll see that tomorrow. So I would like to conclude with a few takeaways. If you remain faithful in the face of persecution like the church of Smyrna, it will produce an unadulterated faith for which there is a great reward. Uh, number two, Jesus knows your struggles and those that make life and the people that make life hard on you, and he may not remove them from your life. They may be there to test your faith. Remember, heat burns away impurities and pressure produces diamonds. As a believer, especially if you are living for God, actively living out your faith, the devil will come for you. He will attack you to test and test you and try to make you falter and stumble in your faith. But Jesus says, remain faithful and great is your reward. Remember, find strength in the one who has overcome the enemy. He is the first and the last, the one who conquered death. Our salvation and eternal hope is secure in him. The enemy can never take that away. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for how it teaches us and encourages us in our faith. I pray for those today that are suffering persecution because of their faith in you. I pray that you would strengthen them and help them to remain faithful to the end. I pray that those uh, who just feel destitute and struggle because they don't have much, I pray this letter would remind them that you can be rich in your faith and even if you are not wealthy or have a lot of earthly things, and that you see them and are proud of their faith. I pray for those who are enduring uh, different hardships but striving to remain faithful to you. Give them the strength and fill them with hope for the reward to come for persevering in their faith. Jesus, you didn't promise you would always remove the storm, but you did promise that you would always be with us through the storm, through it all. Thank you for being that everlasting hope, a friend of sinners, a comforter to those in need. Jesus, we praise you and are grateful for the finished work of the cross and the promise of an eternity with you. Amen.